Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the Christmas Eve message, What Child Is This? All right, well during the first century AD, you need to know that the Jewish people were very, very discouraged. You see, for 400 years, they had received no revelation from God. The last time that God had spoken to Israel was through his prophet Malachi, which by the way, if you're new to the Bible, that is the last book in your Old Testament. But ever since the time of Malachi, heaven was silent. I mean, it was crickets from Malachi all the way to Matthew, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. For 400 years, God was completely silent. But then it finally happened. God broke his silence after four long centuries. It was time for God to make an announcement, an announcement that would not just be for the Jews, but it would be for all humanity. It wouldn't just be for Israel, but it would be for the entire world. And so what was the big announcement that God had to make? And here it is. It's why you're here tonight, by the way, 2,000 years later. The big announcement is that the long-awaited Messiah was about to be born. And so before the Messiah could enter into the world, his forerunner, his predecessor, had to come first. He had to be born, and this man would grow up, and he would prepare the way of the Lord. And so in order to announce the birth of the forerunner of the Messiah, an angel named Gabriel was sent from heaven down to Jerusalem to appear to a priest named Zacharias. Zacharias, a Levite, was in the temple in Jerusalem. He was ministering there when all of a sudden Gabriel the angel appeared to him. And what I'm doing now is I'm just giving you the background in Luke chapter one before we get to our passage. And so the angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias the prophet as Zacharias was, I'm sorry, Zacharias the priest as he was ministering in the temple and he gave him some really good news. He says, Zacharias, your wife Elizabeth is gonna become pregnant and she's gonna have a son. Now to Zacharias, this was inconceivable. This was impossible because he and his wife Elizabeth were, according to the Bible, well advanced in years. Scholars believe that they were in their late 60s or 70s. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen many 70-year-old women give birth. Have you? No. And so in Zacharias' mind, it was an impossibility. But how many of you believe tonight that with God, nothing is impossible? Do you actually believe that? With God, nothing is impossible. And sure enough, just as the angel said to Zacharias the priest, it happened. Elizabeth became pregnant and she gave birth to a boy. And you guessed it, John the Baptist grew up, became a mighty prophet in Israel, and he prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. And now when Elizabeth was about six months pregnant, God, once again in heaven, dispatched his angel Gabriel, and Gabriel came down to the earth, this time not to Jerusalem, but Gabriel went to uh, an obscure town way up in the north, an obscure town called Galilee. And so we're gonna look at verse 26, and here's what the Bible says. And so in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel 
was sent from God to a city of Galilee called Nazareth, verse 27, to a what? A virgin. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the what? The virgin's name was Mary. And so Gabriel, can you picture it? Flew down to Nazareth and he went to go speak to a devout young Jewish girl named Mary, a, a girl who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Luke makes it very clear in the text that Mary was a, a virgin. In fact, he repeated it twice for emphasis. Okay, so we go on to the next verse, verse 28. And so Gabriel came to Mary and he said, greetings, oh, what's the word there? Favored, Favored one, the Lord is with you. And I want you to imagine, try to put yourself in the sandals of Mary. I mean, can you imagine how stunned? Scholars believe she was just a teenager. And all of a sudden, this big, bright, beautiful angel appears to her with this message. He says, greetings, O favored one. Now why, have you ever thought about it? Why was Mary, of all the women in Israel at the time, why was Mary so favored? Here's why, it's very simple. It's because God Almighty chose Mary to give birth to the Messiah and be the mother of the Messiah. By the way, in light of Pastor Will's message this past weekend, let's not forget that Joseph was also highly favored, the forgotten one. Joseph was chosen by God to be the stepdad and to raise the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so now it says in verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. By the way, pretty much every time you see an angelic uh, visitation in the Bible, every time a, an angel appears to a human being, the, one of the first words out of his mouth are, do not be afraid, every single time. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so you think through what the word of God says here. This was the greatest news the world could ever receive. Mary was going to conceive, and she was gonna give birth to a son, and this this boy, this baby boy, was gonna be called the son of the most high. And not only that, the angel said he's gonna become a king. And his kingdom, well, his kingdom will never end. Look at the uh, next verse in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be since I'm a what? A virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He will be called the Son of God. And so how would Mary conceive this child? The answer is not through sexual intercourse, just the opposite. The power of the Most High would come upon Mary and he would implant 
the divine seed within her womb. And so Mary had to be absolutely rocked to the core. Mary, her head had to be spinning at this time. She's, she's trying to take it all in, but it's just like so much to take in. And she's probably thinking, I'm gonna give birth to the Messiah? The Most High is gonna overshadow me? What, what, what is going on here? And so no doubt she needed some more encouragement to boost her faith and to help her accept all of this. And so what does Gabriel do? Gabriel knows she needs a faith booster. And so he tells her about another miracle that had just occurred six months earlier with her relative Elizabeth. Look at verse 36 now. It says, and behold, this is Gabriel speaking to Mary. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel says, Mary, do you remember your relative Elizabeth? Guess what? Six months ago, she got pregnant. Even though she's well advanced in years, she and Zechariah are gonna have a son. If God can cause a child, Mary, to come from a barren womb. He can sure enough cause another child to come from your virgin womb. Do you see what the angel is doing here? He's reminding or he's telling Mary of a situation, a miracle that had just occurred in order to boost her faith so that she could accept this incredible news that she was gonna be the mother of the Messiah. And he says, Mary, you need to know something. Nothing is impossible with God. I wonder how many of you really believe that nothing, nothing is impossible for God. How many of you guys know that when God decides to do something, think about this. How many of you know that when God decides to do something, he's gonna do it whether or not we think it's impossible or not. And so if you know tonight that the Lord has called you to do something, even though it seems inconceivable, even though it seems impossible, even though you can't even fathom how in the world can God be calling me to do this? Here's what you need to do. You need to stop doubting the Lord. You need to step out in faith and you need to trust God that he's gonna come through for you because he will come through for you. He will not let you down. When my wife and I were living in Jupiter and God called us to plant a church here in poor St. Lucie 14 and a half years ago, we said, okay, and we did it. And we started with just a handful of people in a home, just a handful of people in a living room. Look at what God's done in the last 14 and a half years. It's, and all the praise goes to him. And you know what that does for me? The fact that God did that and he's building his church, that gives me a faith booster that he's gonna build a school across the street someday as well. Because with God, nothing is impossible. And so this news about Elizabeth is exactly what Mary needed. It boosted her faith. Now look at verse 38. And Mary said, behold, I am, you guys say what's underlined, go ahead. Are you? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel 
departed from her. I love Mary's response. Oh man, if this could just be the response of every born again Christian in the world. I am the servant of the Lord. And she completely surrendered to God. And guess what? The impossible happened. The virgin birth of Christ happened. The question is, have you surrendered to God? If you're with me here, say amen. amen. Don't miss this part. You need to answer in your heart between you and God, have I surrendered my life to the Lord? Have I surrendered my plans to his plans? Because here's what you need to know. Nothing will be more fulfilling and nothing will be more exciting than you finding out what God wants you to do and then you doing what he wants you to do. Nothing's more fulfilling, nothing is more exciting, but you need to know that God reveals his will to his children and he reveals his will to those who are in a relationship with him. And so on this Christmas Eve, we're gathering tonight to celebrate the incarnation, the incarnation, which is one of the foundational truths of the true Christian faith. The word incarnation simply means this. It means the act of being made flesh. And so ladies and gentlemen, the incarnation happened through a miracle of the Holy Spirit who implanted, as I said earlier, a miracle of the Holy Spirit who implanted the divine seed of the second person of the Trinity into the womb of the Virgin Mary. Therefore, God became man. He was not part God and part man. He was fully God and he was fully man. The word became flesh, the logos. John, in the opening verses of his gospel, put it this way, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, you help me out, you see that? The word was God. So this Saturday, when you get a knock on your door, and somebody gives you a pamphlet, you need to take them to John 1.1 and say, the word was God. Not the word was a God. Stop messing with the Greek. Stop messing with God's word. God's word is forever settled in heaven. And if we change his word, we're in for judgment. God's word says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, period. And we go on now to verse 14. Look, look, look at this, and the word became flesh. There's the incarnation right there. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so who is the word? The word is the son of God, the logos, the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, I want you to imagine with me as best as you can, imagine the eternal Son of God in heaven, receiving worship from the angels that he created. Imagine him sitting on the throne of heaven. Imagine him experiencing the glory that he enjoyed along with the glory that the Father and the Spirit also 
um, experience. Imagine the eternal Son of God enjoying the eternal fellowship of the triune God. And then 2,000 years ago, what does he decide to do? He decides to descend from the third heaven all the way down to our sin-sick, fallen world. Why in the world would the eternal word of God, the second person of the Trinity, why would the eternal logos descend from the third heaven all the way down to our sin-sick, fallen world? Here's why. It was a descent of love, ladies and gentlemen. He came because he loves you. He descended because he loves you. And Paul described this descent of love in his letter to the church of Philippi. Check out Philippians chapter two. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the, help me out with the next three words, form of God. I mean, it's all over the Bible that Jesus is divine. Over and over and over again. Who was in the form of God did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. We have to stop right there. You need to know that Jesus was in the form of God. In the Greek, the word form is morphe, and it's a word that's filled with meaning. Concerning this word, morphe, John MacArthur says this, morphe in the Greek language always signifies a form which truly and fully expresses the being which underlies it. Whatever the form that God takes, it is a reflection of his deepest being, what he is in himself. It is the essential nature and character of God visible, manifest, revealed. What does all that mean? It simply means this, that Jesus Christ embodied the essential nature and character of God that Jesus Christ was God visible, manifest, and revealed. That's why Jesus Christ said to Philip, Philip, have I been so long with you and you do not know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's why Jesus said to the Jews, the Father and I are one. That's why when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain before Peter, James, and John, that his face shone like the sun. You ever tried looking right at the sun? I don't recommend it. But his face shone like the sun. What was happening at that moment? His deity was bursting forth through his humanity. And so even though he was in the form of God and he was God, I wanna go back to slide 12. Check this out. Look at the very last part of uh, the bottom half of the screen. Even though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus didn't consider his position of equality with the Father before he came into the world as something that he needed to grasp or hold on to after he came into the world. And so what did he do? Verse seven, he, please say the next two words. 
I have you say it because this describes Jesus' love for you. This is what he did so that you could live forever. He, the, the eternal God, came, was born of a virgin, and he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So what did the Son of God do when he came to earth? He emptied himself. Now, please don't get confused. He did not empty himself of his divine nature. Okay, Jesus Christ was God before he came to the world. Jesus Christ was God while he walked in the world. And Jesus Christ is still God as he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now praying for you and me. He always has been, always will be the eternal God. He did not empty himself of his divine nature. Neither did he empty himself of his divine attributes. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, anybody who stands up in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee during a raging storm and says, peace, be still, and like that, the wind stops and the turbulent Sea of Galilee becomes like a sea of glass. Anybody that can do that must be God. He did not empty himself of his divine attributes. He did not empty himself of his divine nature. And so you say, well, how did he empty himself? Here's what he did. If you're with me, say amen. Stay with me here. He temporarily let go. Remember, he didn't think he had to grasp onto it. He temporarily let go of his equal position with the Father before coming to earth. And he became a servant on the earth, completely submitted to his Father's will. Verse eight, and being found in what kind of form? He humbled himself. by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you see the descent of love that Jesus made for us? I, I, wish, I wish for some of you I could just sit down with you one-on-one -on -one and beg you to understand what Jesus Christ did for you. Because if you really got this in your heart, here's the thing, you wouldn't just come to church on Christmas and Easter. If you really got this in your heart, if you really got this in your heart, you would realize that the church, whether it's this church or in any other church, the church is the bride of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, what bride kisses her husband on her wedding day and says, see you later? No. When you kiss the husband, you're supposed to stay with him the rest of your life. What is this thing about, I'm praying to receive Jesus and I'll never go to church again. What are we doing in America? That's not the gospel. Never has been and never will be. If you really understood deep in your heart what Jesus Christ did for you and that you and you received him as your savior and Lord and allowed the spirit of God to regenerate you and indwell you and change you and live in and through you. You would be here every single Saturday night or Sunday morning or another local church because the church is the bride of Christ and you wanna be a faithful wife to your Lord and savior. But if it's just up here in your head and it's never got dawn in your heart, then all I'm doing is just yelling up here. 
and you're probably a little annoyed. And I pray to God that you would just allow the love of Christ, give him a moment to hear of the love of Jesus. He was in the form of God and what did he do? He was found in a human form and he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, a cross. Jesus Christ went from the highest height anyone could ever ascend to to the lowest low anybody could ever descend to. He went from sitting on the throne receiving worship from the angels to receiving a body and then hanging in that body on a cross, half naked, dying for our sins. And on that cross, you need to know that God's love and his justice kissed. Now follow me here. God's justice says this, I'm quoting the word of God. The wages of sin, help me out church family, is what? Death, that's God's justice. Every sin's gonna be paid for, whether we believe this stuff or not, Every sin will be paid for. God's a holy God. And God's justice is the wage of sin is death. But here's God's love over here. And he says, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. And what did Jesus do? Jesus hung half naked on a Roman cross and he received the judgment that you and I should have received for our sins. And on the cross, God's justice and God's love kissed. That's our savior, that's our Lord. When I was younger, I had a picture like this on my wall growing up. What a great reminder. Every single day I would look at this. I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? He said, this much. He stretched out his arms, he died. He loves you. Why, why do you put a wall up? Why don't you receive him as your savior and Lord? Why don't you begin to follow him as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And because of that amazing act that Jesus performed, look at verse nine, here's our last set of verses, verses nine through 11. Therefore God, because of this sacrifice of love he did for us on Calvary, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue, every, every, every tongue. We either do it willingly in this life or we do it unwillingly in the next. We either bow our knee willingly in this life and say, Jesus Christ, I'm yours. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid for my sins. Come, forgive me, save me. I'm gonna follow you. We either do that in this life willingly or in the future, we will be forced on our knees to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. But then it'll be too late. And how awful it is that people are dropping into hell to pay for their own sins when a savior already paid for their sins on Calvary. How awful, how wrong, it's not God's will. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, is Jesus your Lord? 
Is he your savior? You say, what should I do? Here's what Peter said at the end of his sermon in Acts chapter two. He said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the decision is yours. You need to repent of your sins, receive Jesus Christ. That's what saves you. And then if you're really saved, you will follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Listen, whether it's this church or some other church, I don't care. I just know that I love you and Jesus loves you. Won't you this day begin to follow him as your savior and your Lord?